This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, review, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this surprise round, we are going on a heist as we discuss our first impressions of Keys from the Golden Vault. Uh, joining us in this episode is the brave knight of D&D, your hero and mine, the man who brings the nuance to nuanced perspective, Jared Rasher. Oh, crap. I'm the nuanced one? I You're the nuanced one. The nuanced one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as you may have heard, also joining us is the Tome Show's official historian, game designer in residence, and all-around good guy, Brandis Stoddard. Hi, thanks. That's a really generous intro. <laughs> I try to be generous in my intros because I only work with wonderful people. Oh, thank you. Huh? <laughs> and in this episode, we are discussing the 5e adventure Keys from the Golden Vault. This is the latest 5e adventure from Watsi that takes characters from levels 1 to 11, sort of in 13 heist-themed standalone adventures. As a reminder, in surprise round episodes, we get our first impressions of a book out quickly after a book is released, or sometimes before, with the understanding that we probably haven't done a deep read-through and we definitely haven't played it. And then, if needed, we'll revisit the book later after it's been out for a while and we have a chance to dig in deeper. So before we dig in, though, though I want to remind folks, if you want to support the show, uh, you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash show. Support of the patrons helps me pay the bills, and that helps keep the show going. Now, on to Keys from the Golden Vault. In, before, as we get going, in full disclosure, I know that Tracy and I are working from review copies. Is that also true for Jared and Brandis? Uh, it is true for me. Yes. It is not true for me. I pre-ordered. Ooh. <laughs> so, Jared is, you can, Jared is the only opinion on this episode that you can trust because he hasn't <laughs> been bribed with a free book. So, Sounds right. And technically, Jeff, you bribed me with the free one, so... Well, sure, I bribed you with the free book that Watsy sent to me, so... <laughs> that's that's how things work over here at the Tome Show, is, is Watsy sends me review copies, and usually one special cover and one normal cover, and I send Tracy all the special covers. So, Keys to the Golden Vault. Uh, what is this? Well, so uh, right, right out the gate, it is uh, the newest anthology, right? The the Wizards release schedule, uh, going back to Tales from the Yawning Portal, has loved a good anthology. And they, they do one uh, about every year, every other year, somewhere in there. Uh, Candle Keep Mysteries, my favorite of the anthology books for <laughs> reasons that don't bear explanation. Um, <laughs> for, uh, for, those who, for those who aren't aware, because Brandis wrote one of the adventures in it. <laughs> don't bear explanation. A rather good adventure that I, that I ran, actually. I appreciate that. Um, so... Uh, like Ghosts of Saltmarsh is a, an anthology that incidentally also includes a huge setting chunk, right? Uh, Radiant Citadel is an anthology that also includes a huge setting chunk. Um, then Chess and the Yawning Portal, much lighter on uh, sort of uh, non-adventure setting, like neutral space setting, and... Um, then Keys from the Golden Vault, 
totally devoid of non-adventure space setting. It just doesn't work like that. Although it's it, got it's it, got material right. that is useful, but it's not. There's no physical space. It, it has no physical space in terms of setting chunks, but it has um, it has a sort of in a more uh, esoteric sense a, a, a yeah. chunk of setting. Um, yeah, it, it's not and, it's not an actual physical space. And the the lore around the uh, golden vault definitely deserves discussion. Yes, it's it's very good. Well, it and it's, definitely it, exists in the D and D multiverse, but it doesn't exist in a single setting. Right, in a single physical location. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I think it's interesting though because it is absolutely an anthology book. It is thirteen standalone adventures that don't necessarily really connect to each other um except it's also the first of the anthology books that i would argue they go out of their way to lay out for you exactly how it could also be a campaign mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, i know true. people that yeah. did that with salt marsh but i don't think salt marsh was actually designed with that explicitly um sort of spelled out for you uh right yeah yeah um, but there is a, like, as I was saying, has, uh, Saltmarsh has sort of a, uh, a very rich sort of neutral setting space where also adventures can happen because there is actually enough there to uh, have some, uh, big burly brawls that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and, and the, the thing the, that they put together here is this organization that sort of serves as patrons. It is the this organization that is all about uh, what was it? Doing good at any cost was that the phrase? Uh, that sounds right. Uh, and yeah, so I believe so. They, they they're the ones that that are the that could serve as patrons for adventurers, send, sending them out to um, engage in all of these heists. Like we're going to steal from people, but it's all for goodness and so we're gonna you know you're still the good guys even though you're thieves uh and these are your patrons and there is a larger effort in place here that you can um sort of believe in and buy into and that is sort of the connective tissue that they spell out explicitly as a way of turning this anthology into a campaign for the sake of any pedants in the audience it is do good no matter the cost do good no matter the cost thank you um, now, my question is, I, obviously, it can function as an anthology, right? It's 13 adventures that don't necessarily, obviously, and directly tie to each other outside of this, this organization. Um, but if you're running it as a campaign, how do you think it stands up? I think it works, but I also think you have to dig a little bit to get some of the connective tissue that they seeded into it because mm-hmm. you would think a lot of the connective tissue would be in the introduction, but there is also a few things later on in some of the individual adventures where they mm-hmm. mention how things can tie into other adventures. And there is actually an evil rival organization that isn't mentioned until one of the later adventures mm-hmm. that they then mention could be used as an organization sponsoring rivals that are working against you. And I think all of that actually makes for a pretty good, um, additional texture for a campaign there so so there's a lot of lore 
and connection between the adventures that if you don't read the whole thing and maybe take some notes, you, you'll you miss because it's not in the actual lore section of the book. I, I don't want to say there's a lot, but there are there's some things here and there where it's saying that, you know, this could be the same person that they encountered in this adventure or... Mm. It's not so much that you don't understand the adventures. The adventures are very much written episodically, but there's also, you know, this extra paragraph is telling you if you do want to run this as a campaign, maybe you could connect it this way. Okay. Right. And I I really like the table of rival crew motivations. I think that's especially strong as just an idea of mine for putting a spin on an adventure, right? Um, like the the heist complications uh bit is is really nice um and you know the the rival crew showing up is one of their two main styles of complication uh how does the rival crew feature idea in this book compare to the use of a rival crew or adventuring party or whatever in um the latest critical role watsi book was that uh, Call of the Nether Deep. Call right? of the Nether Deep, yeah. yeah. Um, sort of, it's optionally lighter touch. Yeah. Right? Like, because they're, yeah, they're telling you, like, you can use these stat blocks for these characters. They give you some sample characters with some personality traits, but it's not quite like Call of the Nether Deep, where you're seeing them more robustly statted out at different points in their career mm-hmm. with potential decision points that might change their outlook on things. Uh-huh. But could you see the system set up in Keys from the Golden Vault as a more generalized version of what was implemented in specific in Netherdeep? So the main difference, as Jared is kind of pointing to, is the absence of a um, their opinion of you, can you go from enemies to frenemies track. Right. Uh, because that's a big part of Netherdeep, that you might treat them well enough that they're, if not allies, then, hey, it's those guys. Yeah, it's cool. Whatever. We're good. Mm. Um, that That's not on the table here. And in all fairness, that's not on the table in the ice genre, really. Right? Like... Leverage doesn't team up with chaos. That's not a thing. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they don't have to be, uh, you know, act- actively trying to kill each other. In fact, they're they're really not ever trying to kill each other, but they're not frenzies either. Yeah. Um, it's not a complication if, uh, I guess, we have more friends here than expected. That's, that doesn't <laughs> feel quite right. No, um, but I can also, but I can see... I can see room through role play, even if it's not spelled out in in the system that they've described. Um, as things develop, as a, and as a DM, I can see myself like, okay, well, they're they're still your rivals. They're still trying yeah. to see you lose, but maybe they're friendly rivals, you know? Um, for sure, for sure. And they're, I think, trying to keep the sort of moving parts and explanatory text absolutely as stripped down as possible, and so. They don't go into that, but you absolutely could. And I think that has plenty of potential. Well, I think that's part of my take on the idea of this adventure as a campaign in general. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of good stuff here that would be, provide decent touchstones along the way. 
but I don't feel like there's enough. I don't feel like there's enough uh, connective tissue, enough muscle, uh, you know, uh, to to build on the skeleton that 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 come on the skeleton already. Uh, and that if I was going to run this as a campaign, a lot of things would have to happen per level than just the one or two heists that that are spelled out here. Um, that said, I've 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 already started building in my head uh, a campaign that is a mashup of keys from the Golden Heist and um, what was the, where, did I, where did I settle out? Uh, Acquisitions Incorporated. Oh sure. Wait, Jeff, you're planning a campaign that mashes more than one D and D resource together? <laughs> well, first of all, yes, because that right. that's my thing. But also, second of all, that's my point. Though, is that I think you have to to run Keys from the Golden Vault as a as a campaign. I don't think there's enough here to actually make it a level one through eleven campaign. I think it needs some more. Um, I mean, that, that depends in some degree on how many adventures per level you sort of believe in. Mm-hmm. If you well, want a fast-progressing a fast progressing campaign, yes. then, yeah, you're, you're fine. Yeah. I've, and, I've, I mean, and, I've, and I've been in, you know, I, uh, a buddy of mine took over DMing for a, uh, a few months while I was playing in Raleigh, uh, and he ran us through Dark Sun, and it was like, we played two sessions, gained five levels. Played two sessions, gained five, just so we could sort of see the breadth of our characters and just sort of hit these time jumps and do basically a series of two shots. You know, you could definitely do a fast-paced, fast-leveling campaign yeah. out of that, uh, I suppose. Um, but you're definitely right also that, like, more... You'd want to weave in more NPCs and story elements that were through lines. That that, that would be amazing. That, that would add even more to these adventures, which isn't to say they, they lack richness and depth, they're just self-contained, because well, you, they can't like drag you through the whole thing and still call it a proper anthology for what they're trying to do. I, I can also see a, a pretty fun campaign wherein you take several anthology books. You know, I could totally see a group based out of Candlekeep dealing with those things, but also working for this patron and going on heist mm-hmm. uh, between Candlekeep Mysteries, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there, 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 there are, there's a lot of potential for campaigns here. Um, but, but I think running Golden Vault by itself as a campaign uh, without the extra meat on the bones uh, is going to be a real fast-paced, fast-leveling campaign. And D&D is already a game where, um, you know, it feels like the characters go from level one to, to 25 and it takes about a month and a half before they become the most powerful people in the world. Um, we may have very different experiences. On this. <laughs> well, that, that could be. <laughs> I also think it, it, it's, it's going to depend, too, on how you feel about episodic play, because honestly, these heists that, you know, you could envision your crew doing all number of things for six months in between two heists Mm -hmm. and you know just narrate that and that's the thing that you do and then the next heist comes up and then you do it and then then it feels it feels a little bit like an episode or a a season of leverage right mm -hmm. um except that the leverage crew doesn't level up uh through the course (laughs) of play well sort of some of them right. multi-classed. So, right. So they all stay great at their main thing all the way through, but they become good at someone else's job also. Yep, they do. That's, it's a whole thing about Parker teaching people how to crawl through vents and stuff, right? Right. And Elliot teaching everyone how to fight. Right. But mainly Parker. 
No, you're right. They do level up, but the leveling up and leverage is a lot slower. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so. um, but you know, the the useful storytelling point there uh, is that they don't need to keep really topping themselves because they rely on complications to create the tension of you know how are they going to get out of this one rather than a greater intensity of problem it is a new texture of problem and that's not typically how D&D does things uh, D&D um, ups the ante over time uh, kind of over and over sure. again right sure but you can like, slow play the leveling to the point that you get more of that if you want and I also think the the way these are these are structured, the higher level adventures in this anthology aren't just you have the potential to fight higher level things. The the stakes get a little bit higher in the later heist too, which isn't just a function of level. It's a function of, you know, you've been doing all of these heists and now you're doing even wilder heists. So like, you know, once you're dealing with a train that literally traverses multiple planes of reality, that's a little bit, you know, more than sneaking into a, you know, into a museum. And then, you know, when your final heist is let's steal the uh, the Book of Vile Darkness, you know, you have a few, you know, stakes getting raised there. Right, and and I really like that as a kind of canon nod. Right. <laughs> um, just one of those long-term. Um, very famous names within D&D. I, I, I like to see that get uh, name-checked. Almost surprised it wasn't, you know, a body part of Vecna. Yeah. W- wouldn't care to specify which one. <laughs> well, the thing that I thought was funny was given all of the... I wouldn't say recent, because I guess it's not really recent, but time doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, but given, like, we haven't been that far removed from getting these stats for Vecna and seeing that that nifty uh holding spot that he has in his uh his rib cage for the uh for the uh, book of vile darkness he really doesn't figure into that story the the book itself is just its own bad thing that you don't want bad people to have mm-hmm. yep yeah you know uh and in in fifth edition canon if if such a thing exists and and that's <laughs> questionable um we know where now we know where the book is, the Book of Wild Darkness is, and we know where Vecna's hand is. Um, so the only thing we're missing is is uh, another particular body part. <laughs> Wouldn't get specify which one. <laughs> and I, I, I would not be seen doing such a thing. <laughs> um. I had a question earlier, because you guys were talking about the call in Never Deep, and... Um, to how they also had complications or like rival teams. Isn't this the f- is this the first one that book that kind of offered this in a way that might be used by DMs Guild? Because mm. I think most of the other ones were like because you also mentioned Acquisitions Inc., which also had some of this type of stuff. But I don't know if I if we've seen this type of thing in something that is able to. Uh, That's a solid point. Yeah, yeah. Has, has yeah. Aqu- a- Am I right in my memory that Acquisitions Incorporated stuff and um, the Watsi published Critical Role stuff is not DMs Guild compatible? Right. Yeah, those are not right. AL material. So yeah, this would be the first place where you really kind of 
you know, introducing material where that's a given that you would have rivals and complications beyond just the adventure that is being presented. Yeah, I had none of that. So I guess that's more or less what the book is. What about this book particularly raises your interest? Um, well, so right off the gate, I really like the organization of the Golden Vault for being um, kind of another little piece of uh, sort of big cosmic stuff. This is a, a, a cosmic organization. Um, they are, you know, on all kinds of different planes, uh, just in kind of very quiet ways. Uh, and so, like, they can justify being anywhere. The, the justification kind of writes itself. Yeah, um, and, and now you just made me think that there's no reason their base of operations couldn't be at the Radiant Citadel. And now I can match yeah, up... Now okay, I can, absolutely. Yeah, now I can match up three three anthologies because because Candlekeep uh, the Candlekeep mystery stuff doesn't have to be at a library in the Forgotten Realms. That library could be in the Radiant uh, Citadel too. Absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, while you were saying that, I was thinking. I mean, you could just install a uh, a giant pastiche library like right down the coast from Saltmarsh and call it a day. Like that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but you know, with with uh, Planescape coming up. Um, the you know potential for uh, Sigil tie-in is is right there, um, right? So so I think that's all to the good. Um, there there is a great nod to the Great Modron March in the Concordant Express uh, adventure as well. Oh, that always does my heart good. That, that <laughs> that's good to know because there have I don't know if know if you all remember, um, but the early 5e adventures all had a little nod to the great Mojan march every now and then um i believe it was out of the abyss that there was straight up just a crazy Mojan running around saying we're on the march over and over again um and then i i added a supplement to the sit into avernus where within the wandering emporium one of the 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 devils there has a a servant that's a Mojan who got separated from the the march right so um, I, I predicted early on that like, oh, we're going to we're going to get a, a, an homage to the Great Mojan March. We're going to get an homage to the Great Mojan March. And then it never <laughs> quite panned out. And, I, and then they stopped referencing it. Like all the miniatures uh, packs also had a Mojan of some sort in every in every pack for a long time. So it is amazing to me that they laid all that groundwork to do a bunch of stuff with Mojans like the obelisks, uh, you know, and then it never really turned into anything. I just want to ask one question. Has anyone checked on Primus lately? <laughs> no? No? Okay, that's fine. It's, it's probably fine. No, he's fine. Yeah, yeah, he's probably fine. Yeah. I imagine he's uh, Yeah. Um, so also, uh, the Faded do show up in this book yeah. from Sigil. Um, as a faction, they show up in Fire and Darkness. Um, that makes me super happy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we, we did kind of know that... Uh, Factions were still going to be part of Sigil. I think that's come up in the, the marketing, but you know, starting to see that get rolled out, even in references that are going to be paid off in full later. Great, mm-hmm. love it, big fan. Yep, I like that too. I think you would have a hard time. Um, well, I think you might have a hard time capturing some of what Planescape, what made Planescape interesting, if you took the factions out. Uh, certainly what makes uh, Sigil interesting, right? 
Um, there's a lot more Planescape than than Sego, but it, I do well, think it's actually important. I mean, sort of, but also sort of not. Well, there's, there's <laughs> we'll see what, what the book has, right? There's anyway. concessions about the planes that didn't exist before Planescape, like the Gate Towns, which I dearly love all of the Gate Towns in the Outlands. Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I do want to make sure we talk about some of the, the really cool approaches that the book has to the concept of the heist. Right? Um, so, uh, they do some really smart stuff with how PCs can gather information. Uh, there, there are sections for casing locations in some of the heists, right? Um, so you're, you're making uh, skill checks to case the location. You don't fail if you don't succeed these. You just go in with less information. It's fine. Um, but the other thing I love is that there's a player-facing map. Mm-hmm. For every location, um, so that the PCs can make a plan, because the plan is a huge part of you know what separates uh, you know a standard heist from a standard dungeon crawl. That, that, that's the, the the big line. There is sort of depth of plan. Yeah. I think. How do you get people not to kick in the front door? Show them somewhere else to go in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, every Shadowrunner knows, right? Front <laughs> door. I'm going to the AC vents, guys. No, I was, I was, I was impressed enough with the maps um, combined with, because like the, the having the player facing maps is great. Um, it's less useful that it's stuck in a book, right? Um, and then that was the thing that convinced me when Beetle and Grimm uh, <laughs> mentioned a new style of box that they were selling for this mm-hmm. uh, book uh, that they called just the DM's kit. And it was significantly cheaper than most of what they sell. Um, it doesn't come with the adventure, so you have to buy the adventure on your own. But it has all of the maps um, you know, in, in their nice sort of uh, pseudo authenticated sort of style, as well as some <laughs> of the some of the smaller props and things that you could use, and that really appealed to me. And since it wasn't going to break the bank, um, I, I've got that Beetle and Grid box coming when it's ready. So, mm-hmm. which I, I looked at, yeah, I looked ahead. at that. It's just that I don't run face to face very often, but mm-hmm. I did think this is the type of Beetle and Grimm's thing I would be much more likely to pick up. Right. Yeah. Well, and if you're not running face to face and you have this on D and D Beyond, then you can mm-hmm. then you can copy and paste the the yeah the maps pretty the player facing maps pretty easily, and that works great. Well, and also when you get something like uh, the Roll Twenty uh, implementation of it, you're going to have these as handouts that you can share with players too. So that makes that fairly easy in that realm. I love how much fun the cartographers had making the maps. Yeah, there was a lot of variety in them. Also, I kind of like the the fact that most of them are literal maps, but there's like one that 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 your contacts show you the location as a sandcastle that they built. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, and the the one for Revel's End um, is very kind of Magitech. Mm-hmm. Right, um, it it looks very science fictiony in its font choice, and, and all of its like uh, line 
quality and everything is, is sort of uh, you get a sort of Magitech display that, that shows you the location. I think that's neat. I liked the in uh, in uh, Pri- uh, Prisoner Thirteen. While some of this was repeated from um, Rime of the Frost Maiden, there is a lot of realm stuff in that one. In that you know there there are representatives from the Lords Alliance that get stationed there that have to make decisions on things, and it talking about their mindset and how you know different things will sway them left and right, and you know the reason that you are sent there is because of dwarven clans that are based out of Gontalgrim. It's like you know, as somebody like me that does still have an affection for the realms, I do like seeing it play with play with proper names in a way that isn't literally just using proper names. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- ha- having just read uh, uh, Aaron Evans's latest book and now reading uh, Julie Johnson's D and D movie tie-in book, um, I I am full of nostalgia for the the old days of realms novels that when it wasn't oh, just bob salvatore um i i loved road to neverwinter i really liked that book oh well, um, I, 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 I haven't that. read it yet i just finished my other the audio other audio book i was listening to you did them in the opposite direction that i did all right i love you no 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 <laughs> what, I, what I meant was I just finished a completely different audiobook that's not D&D tie-in. Um, a, a friend and co-worker of mine uh, published a young adult novel that um, is really good. So I was listening to that and just finished it today. So, <laughs> But she got, uh, to, as a D&D tie-in, she got, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Ronnie Damon, who was on the third season of Critical Role. Nice. Uh, that's the voice uh, actor who did the, the readings yep. for her book. So, uh, Robbie Damon. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so another actually really great thing about um, Prisoner 13, uh, the suspicion tracker. Yes, right? I really like that. Um, there's, a, there's a really nice uh, suspicion track that PCs you know, go up and things get worse if they screw up. It's not one error is the whole deal, but things do get worse and you, you face more and more pressure and uh, risk. This, uh, is it, t- you tell me, because I haven't looked at that adventure in, in detail, um, and of course, this is the latest RPG that I've been spending a lot of time reading, but does it function like clocks in uh, Blades in the Dark? Um, so, m- you don't usually see a mechanical shift for every step of a Blades in the Dark clock. Right, there is a mechanical shift for every step of this clock. Yeah. But all that said, yes. So, but but it's sort of it, that. Then now you're making me think it's sort of uh, uh, suspicion exhaustion. It's suspicion exhaustion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I mean, yeah. that, that's a distinction or a difference if you're if oh, we yeah. know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's just getting more and more likely at each level of suspicion that <laughs> your range for avoiding trouble is getting smaller and smaller as it yeah. goes on so as you start to be as you start to raise suspicion it becomes more likely you raise more suspicion yep screw, yes. up, screw up once in your more likely to keep screwing up <laughs> yep and that's sort of things like you know you took you knocked out some guards and hid them in this room well eventually that is going to make the suspicion level go up because people are like hey have you seen this patrol so it doesn't necessarily, like Brandis said, it doesn't blow the heist right off the bat, but it does mean people are paying a little bit more attention because they haven't seen some of the guards that hang out here. 
so that's just a, that's a nice mechanic. Um, I, I believe uh, Prisoner 13 is written by a friend of the show, Dan Dillon. Um, so that's just, that's, that's great stuff. And that's the only one that is really explicitly tied to any setting, I believe. Um, no, actually, um, there are, there's one that is directly takes place in one of the locations from the, uh, the, um, Radiant Citadel. Oh, right. Okay. I did. Yeah. I did. Someone mentioned that and just, and uh, then, um, there's another one that references a location that, you know, it's, it's more of like one of those ties that you can fill in if you want to. But one of them literally does just take place in uh, in one of the uh, the locations that was presented in that that book. Nice. So my mashup of those two uh, comes comes full circle. <laughs> I'm I'm just really happy to see that kind of interconnection between books because in so much of Five E's approach, kind of something comes out and isn't ever mentioned again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or uh, and this is one of the things I like. Um, I think what was it? Uh, Dragon Heist, uh, Watery Dragon Heist. There was like a brief mention one time of there's a play in town, and it's a play depicting the uh, the events of like Tyranny of Dragons or something. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it's one of the things that's really interesting about this anthology is that while it is not set. You know, in one place, some of the adventures are set in a few, you know, notable places. But the anthology as a whole is definitely set in the D&D multiverse. And what I mean by that is these aren't, they are generic, but they are generic to D&D. Like we've mentioned, there's references to the Planescape factions. There's very specific references to, you know, different planes of existence. Like you have a, a casino that is based on, you know you know tropes from the nine hells which i loved um so i I mean especially nice yes so i mean it's it it is very D &D, even though it is not anchored in one specific setting too it's kind of a a nice a nice travelogue adventure through the 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 multiverse of D. &D. (laughs) i mean a a heist book would not be complete without robbing a casino i just i'm just gonna say And I think I had mentioned this when I was reading this, talking to Brandis um, earlier when I was writing my review. I would totally run a crew of people out of the um, out of the World Serpent Inn, you know, the the inn that touches every every prime material plane, and just have that as their base, so that you don't really even have to worry about traveling to any of these locations. You get your key, and you go you know, out the right door and you are ready to go on your heist there. Yeah. I mean, Although, if, if it's a portal key, you know, single <laughs> works too. And, yeah, and, and, you, and you can also do, do something similar in the radius Citadel. Cause it also connects to, to right. planes. So. Yep. I mean, that's the ethereal for you, right? <laughs> um, but uh, also uh, several of the MacGuffins of the adventures are very cool. Um, uh, Constantinori's um, portrait is a, a really awesome Yeah, item. that was really neat. I, uh, like that. I mean, it's horrible in an awesome way. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, it's it's great. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's technically not, you know, Regis Jean Page, but um, if they were just kind of, yeah, we might have 
15 minutes of rights to the users, like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't blame them, because that, that's sort of what I get from that portrait. Um, what adventure was that in? Uh, let me see. With the, let's see. That is uh, Masterpiece Imbroglio. Um, and there's one later on. Let's see if I can find it. Um, um, the Shard Solitaire uh, is a uh, a necklace that has been through some stuff, and um, <laughs> it has come out on the other side real weird. Yeah. And I like it a lot. Um, it's a it's kind of a, a set item, right? As you pull together more of the pieces of it, I think if I'm if I'm understanding this correctly, um, um, sort of. It's it's I love uh, the adventure that that one's in too because that's another one of those like you don't usually see people you know attending a party as part of a D and D adventure. It's happened sometimes, but that's part of how this works. But also again. Because we're going to make this, you know, directly connected to the D and D multiverse, it's a party in the Feywild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's, of course, I'm a fan of that. I, I love the <laughs> Fey and Fey content. Yeah, yeah, I like how a lot of these are. It is a D and Dism plus a number of heist tropes, and that's kind of the theme for the adventure. Mm -hmm. And I think it works really well for most of the adventures in this anthology. Nice. So I'm curious, you mentioned uh, Reggie John Page uh, and that portrait looking <laughs> awful lot like him. Uh, I am curious if you think there was originally some intent on tying the book in some degree to the movie. It's hard to know, say that for certain because I haven't seen the movie, obviously. Um, but it seems like the movie may have some heistiness to it. Um, uh, I, I would I not venture to say that one adventure is, has anything to do with uh, uh, Honor Among Thieves. Yeah, I just, from, I just didn't know. From what we know of Zank, it doesn't sound like he would be associated with this yeah. picture or well, how it came about. <laughs> well, and, and I'm not saying that um, that there, that there's supposed to be a direct tie-in, but it felt like mm. the timing and the, the theme of the book maybe was designed in such a way that there could be some marketing synergy um, that then the OGL thing hit and they have just sort of shied away from <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I suspect very strongly that... Uh, uh, descend into Avernus permanently burned them on any idea of doing that. Oh, yeah. Because uh, yeah, we talked about Baldur's Gate 3 and how it was supposed to release <laughs> at the same time as Descend into Avernus. Descend into Avernus, which ties into this game that will be out maybe in three years. <laughs> Whoops. And, and it was, uh, for low, it was not out in three years. <laughs> it, it, is, it is about to be out in five and change. Although I, I feel like uh, scheduling things around movie releases is a little bit easier than video game releases. Well, it depends on... On how far along they are in the movie. How far along they are in the movie, right. Yeah. Like, do, do you start writing the book after they've announced a release date? Because like, what I can tell you for sure is that books are in writing about a year before they come out. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, they hadn't announced a release date for Honor Among Thieves a year ago, so... so but, but, they, but they could I have held on to the book uh, until it was closer if they needed to. No, no they can't. No, they can't? Not, 
No, uh-uh. Their yearly schedule uh, doesn't permit that at all. Yeah. Um, they, 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 they don't push things. They release them or don't. I suppose. <laughs> um, it, like it's, a, it's a brutal truth of how stuff works over there. Right. And the, I imagine the margins are thin enough that they don't want to just have a warehouse full of books that, they haven't, that they're not selling. Well, the margins aren't especially thin for, for Watsi. Not no. really. <laughs> not compared but to others. Same, right. But at the same time, no, the heck they do not. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, my suspicion, like I say, is that they got so burned by um, Descend into Avernus that we will not see them try such a thing. <laughs> see, I, mean, I, I can see some synergy, but yeah, you wouldn't want to tie this directly into... No, no, no. Uh, you know, if you wanted to go see Honor Among Thieves and then use it to kind of inflect some of these adventures, I mean, go with God, that sounds great. I mean, Rebel's End is in the movie, so I mean... Well, there you go. <laughs> yep. So, we've talked a lot about sort of what the book is, how, whether or not it's a, an anthology, or how, well, that it's an anthology and how it might function in a campaign, um, what the things that raise your interest. Is there anything about the book that you are, let's say, skeptical about? Uh, I didn't see anything that really raised any, you know, raised any red flags for me. Um, the, the worst I'll say is that, you know, sometimes 5e's uh, sense of whimsy is not in line with my own. <laughs> they, they like it a little more than I do. Um, I have, have long held that the the DM doesn't really need to bring the funny really <laughs> very much of the time. The players will bring the funny and the goofy. Funny that it's funny for in-world reasons is fine. As soon as it's funny for out-of-world reasons, I, you lose me pretty fast. And so th- there are things that tread on that line pretty hard. Um, like the the fey clown Thaco, that's funny for out-of-world reasons. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, I'm not really sour about that one because, I, fine, whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, th- things don't. I don't expect things to be in line with my sense of humor, really. But um, that's kind of the worst I could say of it. Yeah, I was gonna say there was one adventure that did not work for me because of the tone, mm. um, and that might be different for someone else. Um, the only other thing I would say is there is there is one adventure in here that it is not a bad adventure, but it almost immediately shifts from oh yes it's a heist because you're supposed to steal this thing oh no actually you just need to stop this ritual, and it literally just feels like this could have been a D- a standard D and D adventure that had nothing to do with a heist and then somebody says okay this starts with someone telling you you need to steal this thing but then immediately you realize that you actually have to stop a ritual. <laughs> hmm. Fair. Um, and that one, like I said, it's not a bad adventure. It's just it you know, all of the other ones kind of maintain that heisty feel a little bit more than than that adventure does. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, I, I do think they, you know, really try in these in a lot of cases to present a location with moving parts rather than sort of a path. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. I think that's 
a, a wonderful approach. Uh, I think that is typically very good for you know DM adaptation. Um, you know, well, there's a room where there's a, a, an encounter that you know doesn't have a bunch of later payoffs. I'm gonna switch that up and make it you know the content that is connective tissue to my next adventure or my previous adventure kind of thing and i think that you know presenting a location rather than a path is the right kind of space for that especially me. in a heist i think that works particularly well in a heist like right a you've heist, got to have multiple paths for it to be a heist right. i would agree mm -hmm. heists want me to be like okay here's the situation you be clever uh, use your resources. You tell me how you're going to figure it out. You know. Mm -hmm. I I also like that. Um, while it pulls on a lot of like what you would generally feel is is a heist, you know, aesthetic. There are some that very specifically pull on a fantasy heist aesthetic because, like, there's a couple where you cross paths with a with a thieves guild, which immediately rather than having me think of leverage which a lot of these did i'm thinking more like fafford and gray mauser you know nice. dealing with the thieves guild in lankmar although in this case you actually have a bigger thieves guild that's located on the plains backing you but you know that that was kind of the feel i got in a few of these which i kind of like too um i do think that some of these are probably because of the nature of heists and the variability i think some of these are probably going to be easier for um, someone that hasn't run anything before to run, but I don't. Brandis and I have talked about this before. I don't think a product, an adventure for D and D, has to be always geared towards brand new DMs. But in an anthology, it is interesting to see where those dials kind of sit, you know, mm. in the different adventures. So, so are, you, are you saying this would not this would not run well for a new DM? Um, I would say since it's an anthology, there's probably like five of them that I think are straightforward enough that I don't think there would be a big problem. And I think the rest of them, I don't think they'd be hard, but they are going to have some twists that might be a little more challenging. Honestly, if, if you're sending someone face first into, into a 10th or 11th level adventure, you are not setting them up for success. No. <laughs> if they have not run a, a pretty substantial amount of D&D &D before, you're not setting them up for success and stuff's going to happen. If I did trial by fire, then okay, but... Yeah, I dearly love Affair on the Concordant Express. That adventure is great, and it's worth the anthology right there, but I would not have a beginning DM try and deal with that, even though it's it's fairly straightforward, just, like, go from, you know, car to car, but it's also dealing with, you know, different personality quirks of different Modrons that have not been programmed to deal with you weird adventures that are on this train, and you know, things of that nature. And there's a lot of places on it where you have to kind of improvise. And there is like a side story that pops up out of nowhere, which I love. But like, you know, if you have people that are not used to playing D and D and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, by the way, here's this other storyline that's happening in the middle of your heist might not appeal to people or, you know, it might throw them off a little bit to deal with that. Right on. So, so, uh, any other last thoughts before we wrap things up? Anything that you, anything that you, was on your list of things you wanted to talk about, but you haven't found a spot to talk about it yet? I probably have a few. <laughs> I 
One is I do like the games a chance, although I kind of rolled my eyes at the three dragon Annie coming in again. <laughs> <laughs> I own three dragon marketing. Oh, I do too. I just remember with fourth edition how it was like making fetch happen. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Really not fair. in a negative way about three dragon ante. It was just there was this huge push about how amazing it's going to be to play three dragon ante as part of your game. Uh-huh. And to see it again was kind of funny. Right. I have a dusty box over there on my uh, shelves. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's not a great game. <laughs> um, I did like, I don't know if it was one of the ones people were saying was a little too whimsical but the axe from the grave just it was also the one with the sand castles and stuff like that just seemed really cool um in terms of having the mayor cow and and all of that for me from my point of view um but the biggest thing i want to talk about was the art because that's what i i spent a lot of time on twitter going over um Mm -hmm. i really i like that art a lot Uh, i think they've i know i keep saying it pretty much every episode but um just really weaving in uh, a fuller world than uh, we sometimes seen. It w- has been really nice. And there are some stunning pieces in there too. Uh, the, the fortress in uh, uh, in Fire and Darkness. The picture of that fortress was just awesome. Yeah, and uh, I do think conversely, some of the criticism of the uh, adventure art for Shard of the Accursed on one thirty two is it's pretty justified. Um, it's definitely very different, distant from their normal style because it's a render of mm-hmm. 3D objects, and the textures aren't great. They're not. They're not great. Um, I, I would much be, I'd be much happier to see them stick with the you know styles that have brought them here. They need to come with the one that one that brought them, and mm-hmm. I, I love the overwhelming majority of pieces of fifth edition art. That, 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 that is a piece of art that is of a style that I have definitely seen in role-playing game books before, but not a D&D book. Yeah. Many of those were published in the uh, mid-late 90s, and it was not to their credit. <laughs> well. I'm just saying it looks like Reboot, which was a great show at the time, but sure. the visuals have maybe aged. Yeah, that's fair. Any other last thoughts? Uh, I liked it. Um, I also think that if <laughs> if you are if you are someone that is upset with Watsi, you are perfectly within your rights to be upset with Watsi. But please don't take it out on some of the designers that did some really good work on this anthology because this is a very solid anthology of work. And a lot of the designers who worked on this anthology are not Watsi employees too. Um, yeah. So. Right. Uh, all of the uh, anthology books, other than I think Yawning Portal, and I haven't actually checked the credits on that, uh, are very heavy on freelancers. Here to tell you, um, the one thing that I saw that made me sort of blink uh, on the credits page, uh, there is a twelve plus up in the corner, and I, it, like, is that a age rating thing? Or, what what is oh. that? I, I feel like that looks like an age rating thing. But this is a strange place to put it. Yeah. And it's not you put it on the external cover. Right. <laughs> huh. So I'm is... not 
sure what that signifies. I'm not sure either. That's that's not something I've noticed before. Interesting. I do, I don't know whether we're going to see anything else, but this is probably going to be one of the last books that you see Kim Mohan's name in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, I so I am uh, friends online with Aton Bernstein, who is uh, an editor on this. Mm-hmm. From from way back when he and I uh, were roommates at Gen Con once upon a time, um, <laughs> and and he uh, he talked about on his Facebook page um, a while back, several weeks ago anyway, about running this as a campaign uh, and how he had taken on sort of lead editing duties on it. And I'm like, uh, in a world where Kim Mohan was doing okay, I can't imagine not leaning on his. Uh, or was doing okay. I can't imagine not not making him the lead on things because he's got so much experience, right? Um, I mean, so he was I, semi-retired, right? Oh, that maybe. And so, so I have to assume, yeah, he was he was purposely taking less of a lead role on something like this. So, yeah. All right. I think we're going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. I want to say thank you to our good friends. Brandis Stoddard, where can people go to find you? You can find me on Twitter at Brandis Stoddard, on Mastodon at Brandis Stoddard at Dice.Camp. Um, I write for Tribality.com. My personal blog is BrandisStoddard.com, and my Patreon is Brandis Stoddard. And Jared? Um, hey, I think I added something to this uh, resume since the last time I was on the show. Um, you can find me at Gnome Stew, where I do most of the reviews that go up on there. You can also find my personal blog, which has even more reviews on it, at whatdoiknowjr.com. Also, I currently have a podcast with my good friend Ange, and that is Thacko with Advantage. Um, we generally are talking about 5th edition D&D, but both of us have been playing D&D long enough that we always end up referencing some other editions and some things that we've learned over the years, which is how we came up with the title. So if you want to give that a listen, we would gladly, gladly have you listen to that, but also listen to edition wars. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, All right. I also want to thank all of our listeners who who support us by being patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show, such as Doug Palmer, Hyperlexic, James Alessio, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, and Michael Harrison, as well as dozens of others who support with as little as a dollar a month. You could you could join in the, the community. It'd be we'd love to have you there. If you need other ways to get in touch with us, you can send us an email the tome show at gmail.com you can find jeff on twitter at swatch at s-q-u-a-c-h and also find the show the tome show on twitter uh i'm sarah dark magic with an h and you can find us at facebook and discord all right and that is our surprise round episode where we snuck into a guarded treasure vault disarmed all the alarms and traps and got out with the goods before anyone knew we were th- there as we looked at keys from the golden vault in this episode of the tone the tone the tone the tone the tone the tone i'm also wow